Good morning, everyone. Hope everybody's doing well today. If you'll please stand together and let's worship together.
Amen. This is the word of the Lord from Psalm 92. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Yahweh, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. Amen. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. While you're standing, take a moment and welcome those around you. All right, if you'll return to your seats, you may be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to Northside Baptist Church. We are thankful that you are here to worship with us today. If this is your first time, welcome. We are glad that you're here, thankful that you are here. Maybe your first time in a long time, but welcome back. If this is your first time, uh, we would appreciate if you would let us know that. There's a couple ways you can do that. There's a QR code in the bulletin that you can take a picture with your phone and fill out some information, or there's a connection card um, out in the foyer uh, if you could take a moment just to do that. Um, and let us know how we can pray for you, how we can encourage you, not just, not just our guests, but even our church members. If there's a way that we can pray for you, man, let me know, let Pastor Gary know, let your deacon know. We want to serve you, encourage you, um, any way that we can, but we're excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen? Amen? All right, I need all my kids. Where's my kids at? Come on, it's time for our children's story as we continue to work our way through the Bible storybook here. Come on. While they're coming, 
If you haven't been with us before, this is the biggest story Bible storybook by Kevin DeYoung. All right, so gather around. Everybody, turn your listening ears on. All right, here we go. Chapter 10. We do this once a month. We try to do it once a month, usually on the last Sunday. So chapter 10. Here's the title. God's tricky, hairy, blessed people. From Genesis 25 and Genesis 27. The Bible has a lot of strange stories. Some of the strangest are about all the ways God blesses people despite themselves. God promised to bless Abraham, though he had been a pagan man in a strange land and didn't deserve any blessing at all. Then God promised a son. Anybody remember Abraham's son's name? Isaac. Isaac. There we go. No is not his name, but that would have been a cool name. No, no. Isaac, right? And he promised to bless him too. But if Abraham was to be a father of many nations, his child would have to have a child, and then he would have a child, and then he would have a child, and on and on and on and on. The babies would keep having babies after they were no longer babies, of course. Isaac married a girl named, anybody know who Isaac married? Rebecca. Rebecca, good job. Isaac married a girl named Rebecca who had a hard time getting pregnant just like Sarah. So Isaac prayed for his wife, and soon her baby bump started to show. And it was probably a big bump because Rebecca was pregnant with what? Twins. That's right. They named the first baby. Anybody know the first baby's name? No. Isaac. No. Esau. That's right. Isaac had a son, Esau, because he was red and hairy. They named the second son Jacob because he was a trickster from the day he was born. Normally, big brothers pick on little brothers and get a few special treats for being the firstborn. But not this time. God had a different plan. He chose Jacob instead of Esau. Here's the pictures. If you can't see the screen behind us. Pictures, pictures, see the pictures? There, It's on the screen. Much bigger on the screen than it is in here. All right, here we go. Which meant two strange things happened. Once, when Jacob was making some stew, Esau came in from the field and was too hungry to think straight. So the trickster Jacob sold his red soup to his red brother in exchange for the privileges of being the firstborn. Then another time, when Isaac was old and couldn't see straight, anybody down here old and can't see straight? Paul, <laughs> Paul raised his hand. Paul, you can see straight. I don't know about the old part, but. Then another time, when Isaac was old and couldn't see straight, Jacob tricked Esau out of his blessing too, right? Rebecca dressed up Jacob in Esau's clothes and put some dead furry animals on his skin so that when Jacob brought his father a meal, the tricky son would feel like the hairy son. It was a crazy plan, but it worked. Isaac gave the firstborn blessing to Jacob, and by the time Esau found out, it was too late. The smooth, tricky child cheated the hungry, hairy child yet again. And then Kevin DeYoung writes this. Abraham's family tree was looking a little twisted. With a clueless son, a conniving daughter-in-law, and two grandsons who couldn't seem to get along. But I guess the biggest story isn't about God's people getting it all right. As much as, it is, as it's about God blessing his people, even when they keep getting things wrong. So let's pray. Oh God, we are glad. We are glad that you are a gracious and forgiving God. Because over and over and over, as we read the scriptures, we see men and women who are fallen, sinful, 
who disobey, who don't always listen. And God, in spite of their disobedience, through your grace and mercy, you forgive them. You show them kindness and love and mercy. And Lord, as we talked about last week, Lord, either your people are are for you or they're against you. And God, though they weren't perfect, as long as they kept putting faith in you and trusting in you, Father, you blessed them. Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, on through that family line, eventually to King David, and eventually to the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the God, Son of the living God. So thank you, God, for rescuing us and saving us. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all can go back to your seats. If everybody else will stand, let's worship together.
Amen. Amen. All right, at this time, our kids are going to make their way out. Children's Church, both classes. Hallelujah. What a way to transition into the preaching of God's Word. What a great reminder. If you have a copy of God's Word, please turn to Esther chapter 9. Esther chapter 9. Esther chapter 9. We are going to finish up the story of Esther this morning. Esther chapter 9. There's a well-known saying, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Two weeks ago marked the 22nd anniversary of September 11th. And for those of you who weren't born yet, that was in 2001. And more and more of you were not born then. All these kids up here were not alive during that. Every year they have a memorial service where they read the names of all 2,977 men and women who died. And every year we are reminded that we must never forget that on that day we were attacked by terrorist. That 2,977 is not just a number, but are actual people who lost their lives that day. We are to never forget the courage and bravery of the men and women who ran to the towers to begin the rescue mission or of the men and women on those planes who did their best to stop the hijackers. Never to forget that on that day, America stood as one, together and united. That five days later, our churches were filled with scared, hurting people who were looking for something to calm their fears, to fill their emptiness, to comfort them in their pain, or for some, even looking for a Savior to save them from their sins. We are to never forget. But here's the reality. We are forgetful people. We are forgetful people. And though we may still stop and remember 9-11 over time, we forget what we are really remembering. And we go back to live our lives as though nothing happened. How in 22 years could a country that was more unified than ever now be more, than, more divided than ever? It's because we forget we come to the last chapter in Esther, and this entire book has laid out for us the wicked plan by Haman to destroy, kill, and annihilate the Jews. We have seen God's sovereign providence to put Esther in the palace for such a time as this. We see Mordecai and Esther identify with the Jewish people. Esther is about God rescuing his people. They are not destroyed on the 13th day of the 12th month when they thought they might be, but instead they are spared. And to celebrate God's deliverance, they throw a feast. They throw a party, a festival, a holiday that they will celebrate every year. That some Jews even celebrate to this very day. And why do they do this? To remember. So they never forget what God was doing in this month on this particular day for their deliverance. 
I want you to notice several things about this feast, this festival. We're going to jump around a little bit this morning in the scripture rather than just reading from the beginning to the end. I want you to notice a couple things. Number one, I want you to notice that this feast is called Purim. It's called Purim. So you begin there in verse 23. So the Jews accepted what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews, or this is just a summary, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and did cast pur, that is cast lots, to crush and to destroy them. But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, they called these days Purim after the term pur. So this is, this is the name Brian Gregory, I think, has a good summary. He writes, By naming the festival Purim, attention is forced on something deeper. And it is this. The lot, that remember Haman cast a lot, the lot or destiny of God's people is not left up to chance, and it is not determined by someone like Haman casting lots before his gods. No, only God determines the lot of his people. Only God determines how things turn out in the world. So they take this pur and they use the plural form purim and that's the name of their feast and their holiday. Number two, this feast would be celebrated on the 14th day of Adar. Look at verse 20 and 21. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obligating them to keep the 14th day of the month Adar and also the 15th day of the same year by year. Some were keeping it on the 15th, um, some on the 14th, but the 14th day became the primary day on which most people would celebrate this feast of God's deliverance. Number three, it was to be an annual celebration. Now, it started as a spontaneous celebration, right? They've just been delivered. They're, they're not dead. They're not annihilated. And so what began as a spontaneous celebration becomes an annual celebration. You see this in verse 28, that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation in every clan, province, and city, and that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. So every year, on the 14th day of Adar, they were to remember they were to have this feast. Now, this festival is not given by God in the Pentateuch. Right, Most of the festivals, all the other festivals that you see the Jews celebrating, even to this day here um, in Esther, was given by God in the Pentateuch. This one comes much later, and it comes under the direction, certainly being led by God, but under the direction of Mordecai and Esther. They recognize what God has done. They probably know we're a forgetful people, so let's have this annual feast to remind ourselves of God's deliverance. Number four. The feast was to include food and sending gifts of food to one another. That's verse 22. The last part says that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another. And this feast, number five, also included giving gifts to the poor. That also was in verse 22, and they gave gifts to the poor. So here's a summary of this feast as festival. The feast was an annual reminder of God's goodness and deliverance in giving Israel victory over her enemies. God sovereignly gives victory to his people from their enemies, and therefore every year they are to remember that with a festival. Now, 
This festival is still celebrated today by not all Jews, probably not even by many, but there are still some Jews. I heard one pastor say when he, when he called um, a local synagogue, uh, they said probably the Orthodox Jews are the ones that, that do this. I asked David the other day, he said maybe 10% of Jews still celebrate this today. But there are some who do, and it looks very similar. And I find this interesting. If you were to go to witness somebody who's celebrating Purim and seeking to do it according to the Old Testament, right? some of them will start with the fast on the 13th day. Because remember, Mordecai and Esther fasted. So some Jews will start a fast on the 13th day, and then when it comes to the 14th day, they begin their celebration, and there are four major things that Jews who are seeking to practice this correctly do, four things. Number one, there's public readings from the, I've seen it pronounced, the Megillah, the Megillah, right? It's a, it's a scroll of Esther. It's a public reading. They typically will read it twice. And when they read it, it's interactive. You have people who are cheering when Mordecai's name is mentioned. Right, he's the hero. Way to go, Mordecai. And then when Haman's name is mentioned, right, they boo and they shout and they use noisemakers called groggers. It's a little stick and you move it around and it makes a loud noise right, to drown out the name of Haman. Every time Haman's name is mentioned, like they're booing. They do not want to hear the name of Haman. Number two, the second thing that they must do is there's a festive meal and there's rejoicing. People often dress up. It's very celebratory. There's lots of drinking involved, typically. They also make something called hamantashen, which means Haman's ears. It's a three-cornered cookie, three-cornered cookie. Either, they say, because Haman's ears were pointy or to represent this three-cornered hat that he would wear, hamantashen. It's a three-cornered cookie that is filled with fruit, or as one video I watched, a Jewish lady was saying, the best ones are filled with chocolate. That sounds a lot better than ones filled with fruit, filled with chocolate. And then third, you send gifts of food to friends. And then fourth, you give gifts to the poor. Even some Jews, right, thousands of years later, are still celebrating this festival, this feast of Purim. Why? Why do Mordecai and Esther make this an annual celebration? Two reasons, both here in the scripture. One is to remember, and two is to rejoice. Talks about gladness multiple times. So the rest of our sermon, we're going to think about remembering and rejoicing. They are to remember. Esther chapter 9, verse 28. That these days should be remembered. That these days, what days? The days that God delivered them should be remembered. As you study the Old Testament you quickly realize that festivals and feasts were a vital part of the Jewish community, a vital part of Jewish life. So the first month in their calendar year is the month of Nisan. And on the 14th day, if you're in David's Sunday night Bible study, you better get this right. He's listening, right? The 14th day is what? What do they celebrate? Passover, right? Passover. And then on the last month, of their calendar year, which would be Adar, on the 14th day of Adar, they're celebrating at this time, what? Purim. Both of those feasts are remembering God's delivering them from the Egyptians, how God rescues them and delivers them, leads them to the promised land, and now here in Esther, how God delivers them from the wicked Haman, from death, destruction, and annihilation. 
It is a time of celebration and of remembering. God's people, when you look at the Old Testament, were to remember and they were to teach their children to remember. You see this theme throughout the scriptures. Let me just give you several references. Exodus chapter 12, verse 14. This day, the day of Passover, shall be for you a memorial. It's a memorial. You're to remember it. Deuteronomy 5.15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. 1 Chronicles 16.12, remember the wondrous works that he has done. Psalm 45.17, I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. How do future generations know what happened in the past? You've got to tell them. You continue to celebrate it every year, reminding them, hey, you weren't alive you're just a young whippersnapper. You weren't alive, but this is what happened way back when in your great-great-great-grandfather's day. This is what happened. You remember in all generations, therefore nations will praise you forever and ever. Psalm 77, 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. Take your Bible and go to 1 Samuel chapter 7. 1 Samuel chapter 7. I just want you to see one example of a way that the people were to remember. 1 Samuel chapter 7. There's a song that we sing, Come Thou Fount. Come Thou Fount of every... You know the song? The second verse, I remember. I was a student pastor at standing next to my senior pastor, and the second verse says, Here I raise my what? Ebenezer. He's much older than me. He looks at me and he says, You know what an Ebenezer is? It's like, no, I never heard of an Ebenezer. The only Ebenezer I know is Ebenezer Scrooge. Like, what, are you what is an Ebenezer? Here's what an Ebenezer is. We sing it. We don't know what it means. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 13. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer. The author just wasn't making this up in the song. Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. That Ebenezer simply means a stone of help. He raises up a stone of help. Why? Because every time they saw the stone, it was to remind them of God's faithfulness. It was a visible reminder. Oh, there's that stone, this Ebenezer, this stone of help. Oh yeah, I remember God's faithfulness. It was a way to remind them. Now what were God's people to remember when they celebrate Purim? Look at verse 22. This is what they're remembering. As the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies. That word relief can also be translated rest. God saved Israel from destruction and extinction. And they are to remember that on this day, God gave us rest. We didn't do it. It was God who gave us rest from our enemies. It goes on to say, these days that have been turned from, for them from sorrow into gladness, from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. Now, we're not Jews, and even many Jews don't celebrate this today, but we certainly don't celebrate Purim. So how can we take this and maybe apply it to our life, right? They were supposed to celebrate and remember God's deliverance in their lives. Can we not do the same? 
We remember God's deliverance in our life. We don't have Purim. We don't celebrate the Passover. We don't celebrate these feasts in the the way that the Jews would celebrate them. But for us, we do have a couple holidays that we do celebrate. We have Easter and we have Christmas. Now listen, the holidays of Easter and Christmas, they're not commanded in Scripture. And in fact, those aren't the actual days. Some of you are going to be really disappointed. Jesus was not born on December 25th. What? Like your world is rocked, right? Like I didn't know, right? So those aren't the days. They're not commanded in Scripture. But as the people of God here in America, right, we celebrate those days. We set aside those days to what? During Christmas to remember his birth, that God became flesh and dwelt among us. And then at Easter, we remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Those are the days. But here's what happens. Sometimes we get so caught up in the busyness, especially when you go like Thanksgiving to the end of December, like it's busy during that time. We get so caught up in the busyness or their tradition, and traditions aren't bad. They're not bad. We get so caught up in those things. We get so caught up sometimes in, in the, the trappings, if you will, that we, in our celebration, lose sight of what we're really celebrating. Again, not commanded in Scripture, set aside for us to focus on these things. We forget. We forget how many Christmases come and go, and at the end, you're like, man, I wish I wouldn't have been as stressed. Next year, I'm going to slow down. Next year, I'm not going to be as anxious. Next year, I'm going to enjoy the smaller things. Listen to what Ian DeGuide writes in his commentary. I'm just going to quote him and leave it there and let you marinate on this. He says, why does the level of domestic stress rise dramatically over the holiday period? It is because the festival itself exposes our idolatries. Again, nothing wrong with tradition. But if that tradition takes away from what we're supposed to be focusing on, then whatever that tradition is, whatever it is that stresses you out, that becomes an idol. So, Easter, Christmas, celebrate the birth and the death of Jesus Christ's resurrection. But here's what I love about this. Brothers and sisters, we don't celebrate the birth of Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection only once a year. Amen? Amen. We do this every week. This is why we gather. This is the importance of gathering. Every week when we gather as the church to worship, we're remembering these things. Therefore, our worship should be joyful and celebratory, right? Because Christ is alive. Now there's times you may come in and rather than rejoicing, there may be heavy things upon your heart and you may be more in a state of humility and and, and introspection and thinking deeply about some things. I get that, but when you come into a worship service, right, it shouldn't be a cold, like where's the joy of the people in this? If that's the case, then we're gathering for the wrong reasons. We've forgotten why we gather, and so we are to celebrate and we are to rejoice. Our daily lives are to be filled with the hope Christ brings. Our daily lives should be filled with the hope that Christ brings. We celebrate God's goodness, and we, and we this is key, we pass on these truths to future generations. That's why it's important for your kids to see you worship. That's why it's important after worship you unpack some of these things that you hear with your children as much as you can, right, to 
If they have questions, to answer them. You're passing this on to them. But Jesus also gave us the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. 24. And when he has given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And next week, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. And we will remember as we eat of the bread and as we drink of the cup. But this morning, I'm calling you to remember. Will you just take some time this morning? Will you take some time this week to turn off the TV, to put your cell phone in a different room, to open up God's word and just remember? Remember God's faithfulness and God's providence in your life. Remember his deliverance. Remember his victory in your life. Because church, hear me, you and I, just like those in God's word, have failed over and over and time and time and time again. But our God has never failed and he won't start now. Amen? So remember, get away from the craziness. Still your heart and just worship. Don't focus upon what's not right in your life. Focus upon what God has done in your life and just worship. So you are to remember. But secondly, they were to rejoice. Now the ESV says in verse 28, they remembered and kept. Some other translations take that word kept and it means they rejoice. That in their keeping it, they're rejoicing. So we are to rejoice two things. We are to rejoice, number one, for what God has done. What God has done. This festival is a day of rejoicing. Why? Because of what they're remembering. Can you imagine one year, one year after the 14th of Adar in this year, the people are gathered around the tables and they're looking around and they're seeing spouses and children and grandparents and aunts and uncles. It's a large festival. Imagine how different that table would look had God not intervened a year before. The number of husbands and wives and children and grandparents who would be dead and wouldn't be there. Now, when you look around that table, it's not like, huh, well, ain't that nice? Everybody's still here. Let's eat some hamatashin. No, it would have been rejoicing because you should have been dead and you should have been dead and I should be dead. But God rescued us, saved us. So there is rejoicing. Now, we can't help but read Esther 9 through two lenses. Number one, you can't help but read Esther chapter 9 through the lens of the Holocaust. And this is written years and years and years before the Holocaust. Karen Jobes in her commentary writes, The book of Esther was treasured by Jews imprisoned in the Nazi death camps precisely because it promised, it promised the survival of their race despite Hitler's attempts to annihilate them. Like I wonder if you're a Jew living in, under the Nazi regime, how much Esther probably would have meant to you because you're a Jew from that line and God delivered them thinking God will once again deliver us she goes on to point out that a third of the Jews in the world were murdered during the 20th century and that the Nazis would kill on the spot any Jew in prison camps possessing a copy of Esther Esther 9 must have been so comforting to them Esther 9 would have given them hope would have given them hope that God had rescued our people way back then. God will rescue us. Just a side note, Jews also celebrate another festival, another holiday, Hanukkah. 
Right? By the time of Jesus, Jews were celebrating Hanukkah to mark the deliverance of the Jewish people from Antiochus Epiphanes in the second century, led by Judas Maccabeus. I may have butchered both of those. But again, another time when you look at history, the Jews led by this Antiochus, the Greeks, should have been wiped out, should have been destroyed. They were outnumbered. But again, God delivers them. He rescues his people. What does history show you over and over and over? The Jews are always going to be opposed. Somebody is always going to be trying to kill them. And over and over and over, God delivers them. And so they rejoice in that. But there's a second lens from which we must read Esther. And that is through the cross of Jesus Christ. No, God has not rescued us from the Persians. But God has rescued us from sin, death, and hell. Amen? He's delivered us through Jesus Christ. And so we need to acknowledge God's faithfulness to the Jews, which leads to his faithfulness to us in Jesus Christ. Now, I didn't mention it this week, and I hope you noticed. And if you were here Sunday night, David touched on it. There's a major significant part that I didn't even touch on last week, that hopefully you were sitting there thinking, Pastor, you're not even mentioning this. The overarching reason that God, once he makes a covenant with the Jews, keeps them alive, always keeps a remnant, whether he's through the Jews bringing judgment upon the nations or even when the nations are bringing judgment upon the Jews, that God is always continuing that line is because of the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, right? That he's, he's preserving, as Mazden mentioned last week, the bloodline. He's preserving that. He's fulfilling the covenant he made with Abraham. He's fulfilling the messianic promises of the Old Testament. Why can the Jews not be completely annihilated from the Amalekites or from the Egyptians or from the Persians here in Esther 9? Because if all the Jews are dead, then God's promises fail. They fail. The, 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 the covenant promises, the messianic line ceases. So he's preserving that. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So right there in the beginning of the gospel, it traces it all the way back to Abraham. Romans chapter 1, verse 3, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. Descended, a descendant of David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit. That's Jesus to Christ. Descended from David, fulfilling the messianic prophecies. He's fulfilled in him, but he's also the son of God. So listen to this, Matthew 27, 43. Jesus is on the cross. People begin to mock him, including both the criminals are mocking him. One has a change of heart, but they're both mocking him. Matthew 27, 43, it says, He trusts in God, speaking of Jesus on the cross, he trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. Let God deliver him. And then they say this, For he said, I am the son of God. Everything is pointing to Jesus, the Christ. Jesus has said, he, it all, all of that back there points to me. I'm fulfilling it all. He says that. He declares to be the son of man, Daniel 7. Declares to be the son of God. And he's on the cross and they say, let God deliver him. And God doesn't deliver him. Why? Because God instead chooses to deliver him he doesn't deliver him from the cross, rather he delivers him up. Romans 4.25, it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered 
up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So God makes a covenant with the Jews and through Christ and preserving that line, through Christ, he then makes a covenant with us. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. God faithfully preserves that bloodline. Then he offers Jesus up in the sinless, perfect lamb of God is slain so that his blood may cover your sins and mine so that we can be forgiven. And then he says, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This morning, brothers and sisters, we indeed have victory in Jesus. Amen. We have victory in Jesus. Death has been emptied of its horror and its power, and it was swallowed up in the victory of Jesus Christ's resurrection. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Sin has been forgiven, and those, myself included, who were once far off, have now been brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen, we don't celebrate Purim, but we do celebrate God's deliverance in our lives. David Strain writes in his message on these verses, part of our task as we seek to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy is to do what the Jews do here at Purim, to remember, to rehearse again the old, old story of Jesus and his cross, to rehearse it over and over. Why? That we might reignite the flames of rejoicing in our hearts. Remember and rejoice when you get away with the Lord this week and you begin to remember, let it lead to rejoicing. Yes, it may lead to some tears along the way. So humility and a remembering that Christ would lay down his life for you. But remember, brothers and sisters, hear me. Don't ever lose the wonder of what God has done for you in Jesus. Don't ever lose that wonder. Don't ever walk in here and when we sing at Calvary, you're just barely singing it like it doesn't matter what he did for you at Calvary. Don't ever lose the wonder. Hear me. Remember what he has done for you in the past. But number two, remember and let me rejoice for what God is going to do. Rejoice for what he's done in the past, but rejoice for what he's going to do. Chapter 10, good thing for you is it's only three verses. Don't have much to say on it. Here we go. Chapter 10, King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea. And all the acts of his power and might and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers, for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. Notice two things. Number one, notice that God continues to use this man, Mordecai, as he seeks the welfare of the Jewish people. He's second in rank. Second in rank. The people love him. He's popular. He sought the welfare of his people. He spoke peace to all his people. God continues to use Mordecai. But secondly, notice this. The king is still in control. Earlier, he stops the taxes. And now, verse 1 says, King Ahasuerus imposed tax. That could be tribute, uh, forced labor. All of it is behind this. He's forcing people to pay taxes, forcing them to give tribute, forcing them to maybe have to get a job so they can pay the taxes on the land and on the coastlands of the sea. This, this tyrant of a king is still in control. 
final victory hasn't come for Israel yet. They're in a much better place. But this king who gave the authority and signed off on the first edict to have them killed is still in control. Brothers and sisters, this morning we can declare that Jesus Christ has defeated the grave. He has defeated sin. He has defeated Satan. Yet we know our final victory still hasn't arrived yet. It hasn't arrived yet. Listen to what it says. Paul said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he, what? Comes. We're waiting for the fulfillment. We're waiting for that ultimate and final victory. We long for Jesus to return. And I love what the choir sang. I love that song. Right? He's coming. One day he's coming. We're longing for him to come. But until he comes, you and I will still face and wrestle with things like anxiety, fear, doubt, disappointment, sin, suffering, persecution. And over the next several months, and by several, I mean several, well into next year, we're going to be in 1 Peter. We're going to see this theme over and over and over. Right off the bat, Peter says, not to give away next, week, next week's sermon, that we're elect exiles. They were elect exiles living in a land that is not their home. We live in a land that is not our home. We're just passing through. We're sojourners. Temporary residents, as much as we love this country, we're thankful for this country, thankful for the people who have given their very lives for this country. This ain't my final place, amen? It's not. He's going to make a new heavens and a new earth that are going to be significantly, infinitely better than what I know here. We live in a land that's not our home. Brothers and sisters, we live in a land of suffering. Right now, we could have people stand up one by one and tell how they have suffered or how they are presently suffering. We live in a land of persecution where other countries have been experiencing this for years and years. And maybe, just maybe, it's on the doorsteps of our country. We live in a land, in a home, where you are misunderstood. Where most people do not understand us as Christians, why we believe what we believe, why we would gather on a Sunday morning, why we give our lives to, to Christ. And misunderstood would be the least part. The worst part is we live among some people who flat out hate us, can't stand us. We live in a land, are you ready for this? Where you will never if you're following Christ, fit in. You'll never fit in here. Now, there was a time in our history of our country where our country's morals lined up more with God's word, and so it was a little easier to fit in. But even then, you still never really fit in because you're always going to be different because Christ has radically saved and changed your life. That's where we live. So what do we do? What do we do, brothers and sisters, when we are misunderstood, when we're hated, when we suffer, when we're persecuted, where we don't fit in, where we will never fit in, what do we do? Listen, I've only got one answer for you. It's to keep looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Never take your eyes off of Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus. Why? Because he's the better king. He's the better king. No king 
could ever save you here. No president, no governor, no nation can ever save you. Jesus is the better king. Listen to Ian to God one more time as we wrap this up. The kingdom of Ahasuerus has passed away, though the evil empire still remains around us in different forms. Here on earth, we are constantly still involved in a life and death struggle with the forces of evil. But it will not always be so. The day is coming when our king will return to claim his throne. And the days of the evil empire will end. The day is coming when the angels will cry out at last. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Amen. There was a man by the name of King Ahasuerus. He was in control in Esther chapter 1. He's still in control in Esther chapter 2. But I got news for you. He was never really in control. Because the Lord our God has always and will always be in control. Worthy are you, Jesus, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. And this Jesus has given us a living hope. He's given us a living hope. I pray you have trusted and believed in his name. That you have been delivered from your sin, delivered from death, delivered from hell. And brothers and sisters in Christ reading this morning, I pray that you will remember and that you will rejoice. And as Colossians 3 says, that you will allow the peace of Christ to rule in your hearts. And you will allow the word of Christ to dwell in you richly. What are we to do? Oh, brothers and sisters, get in the word. Get in God's word like you've never been in his word and get on your knees and begin to pray and then start telling everybody you can about all that God has done, is doing, and will do and call them to repentance and belief and faith in Jesus. And hear me, that starts in your home. It starts with your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren passing down a legacy of God's faithfulness in spite of our sinfulness. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? Oh, Lord, our God, we have so many reasons. We sing a song, 10,000 reasons. We have more than 10,000 reasons, oh, God, to praise your name, to rejoice. But, Lord, we confess we are, as we sing in that same song, we are prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. God, we are so prone to forgetfulness. So prone, God, to taking our eyes off of you, King Jesus, and and putting them on other things. So Lord, right now, I'm calling, God, you're calling us to remember. And as we begin to remember, God, your faithfulness and your deliverance to rejoice. Oh, Lord, would would the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. May the word of Christ dwell in us richly so that, God, all that we do can be done to the glory of your name. Father, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, may they come to faith in Christ for the glory of your name. Lord, I pray this message has resulted in the glory of your name and the salvation of the lost and joy to those who call you Father and God. Lord, as we sing, as we sing this song called Offering, 
The reality is our very hearts, our very lives, every gift that you've given us should be an offering up to you, God, for you are worthy of our praise. So may we sing and may we rejoice as those who have been redeemed from sin, those who have been rescued from death and hell for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand? Let's worship together. The altar's open. seated for just a couple moments. I'm Miss Jamie. If you will come, Maya, if you will come, and then we got your two other girls. Miss Liz went and got them. All right, if you all will come up here. So this is the Gillett family. This is Jamie and Maya and Olivia and Oakley. Right, did I get all that right? Yes. So this is the Gillett family. So Maya down here 
uh, has already been baptized, right? I had the chance to baptize her, had professed her faith in Jesus Christ. And so she's a follower of Jesus. Jamie is also a follower of Jesus in Christ, uh, was, was baptized as a believer in Christ at 38 months pregnant in freezing cold water. That's a, Yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, just had a desire, but she wanted to follow Jesus. She didn't want to wait any longer and wanted to be uh, obedient in baptism. So Jamie's coming to join with us by statement, uh, been attending here for a while and had multiple conversations over the last couple of weeks. And so she is coming. Our, the Lord's already been using her. She's been serving. So if you will rejoice in her decision and his family's decision, will you just say amen and clap? Amen. Awesome. Y'all just want to stand right there? So they'll be standing up here in the front. So after the service, if you'll just come forward and just love on them um, and these sweet, uh, three sweet, precious girls uh, who are always smiling, um, always just filled with, with joy. And so just come by and, and love on them. And just know when, when somebody joins, when a family joins and says, hey, the Lord's bringing me to Northside, right? It's our job to love on them, encourage them, help them become more like Jesus, and then they do the same. Likewise, they pour in to the church body um, and, and love on us. And Jamie has brought an incredible gift uh, to our church with her ability to know sign language, um, has been using that, VBS, Awana, and so that's been a blessing, um, and so we're thankful uh, for that. So before you leave, make sure you come by and just uh, welcome them. Just a couple quick announcements. We have a... Uh, a bridal shower this afternoon at 2 o'clock uh, for Eden and Colton. And so you want to be here. You want to be a part of that at 2 o'clock. Um, what else we got? October is Pastor Staff Appreciation Month. Ms. Robin is going to be out in the foyer. We still have a few holes, a few things that she still needs. So she'll be out there. Make sure you see her if you are willing um, to bring something for that. Um, we got another Parents' Night out coming up. I love this. Waffles, Western Night, and Wonderfully Made. That sounds like fun right there. I may have to hang out with the kids instead of going, just kidding. I'm going to eat with my wife. Y'all have fun with that. But um, listen, we need help. So parents, I know you're ready. Hey, when do I register? When do I sign up? Well, not till the date's in there, but we do need adults and youth. If you're willing, you're available on that night. You say, hey, I can help. Heather McMichael is the contact person. Please see her. Uh, she organizes that and does an incredible job. One other thing, fall festival. I know it's still a month away. But there are tags out on the Connect board. There's sign-up sheets to, for games to decorate trunks. So if you have not signed up yet or you haven't grabbed some tags to bring some items, please do that um, on your way out this morning. Come back tonight. We have our normal Sunday night schedule and activities. We have a lot to offer. So please come. Something for every age. We hope you'll be a part of that. Bill, are you the deacon of the week? Is that correct? All right, brother. If you'll come, close us with a word of prayer. Everybody else, if you'll... Stand. Let's be dismissed with prayer. Right, I always follow David, and I wish I could pray from my chair, but I can barely hear myself, so I have to come up here. God, thank you for rescuing us from, uh, from death, and we thank you for rescuing us from slavery to sin. We thank you for reminding us today why we're here, and we thank you for giving us this church to, to come and remember you and worship you each week. Lord, we're all sorry for the many days that we are so far from you, but we praise you for those days where we know we don't fit in and we know why. So my prayer for this church is that we wake up each morning and we think of you. We go to bed each night and we think of you, and throughout the day we live to glorify you. Lord, protect this church until we meet again tonight or next week. 
Let us go out and live a life that glorifies you all the time. In Jesus' name, amen.